Ecclesiastes 1. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome, beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in the future generations, no one will ever remember what we are doing now. I, the teacher, King of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless. Like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Well, what's up, BCN family? How you doing tonight? Make some noise in the house. So good to see you. Turn to your neighbor to your right and say, I'm so glad you're sitting next to me. I'm so glad you're sitting next to me. So glad you're sitting next to me. Turn to your neighbor to your left and say, I'm so glad I'm sitting next to you. I'm glad I'm sitting next to you. Glad I'm sitting next to you. Glad that I'm sitting next to you. How many of you, I promise you're not going to embarrass you, but how many of you by the show of hands, this is your very first time here at the BCM? Come on, make some noise for these folks here tonight. So uh, welcome, 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 welcome. And if this is your first time, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Jay, and I had the privilege of serving as uh, the BCM director here alongside some incredible leaders uh, that serve here within our ministry. And I'm so thankful that you decided to show up along with the rest of you. I mean... Y'all are the real MVPs, like you came through the rain, okay? And so uh, you can pat yourself on the back right there for coming through the rain, because let's be honest, sometimes when you see it's raining, you're like, I'm just going to stay in today, you know, the Lord knows my heart. But y'all kept on pressing through, and you came on anyway. You need to know this, that, uh, and, and Kevin even alluded to this earlier, that we love the scriptures around here. If that is true, make some noise in the house. We love God's word. And uh, there are times where we will primarily walk through a book of the Bible. There are other times, too, where we would do a topical study that studies that are relevant to 
um, man, the season of life that you are in as a college student. Tonight, we're beginning a brand new journey through an Old Testament book. Any guesses based off of what uh, Ishmael just read? Any guesses on what the name of that book would be? Ecclesiastes. Y'all are so smart. You're so smart. I think you're going to make it. I think you're going to graduate someday. So that's good. We are going to be walking through this Old Testament book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, and we have entitled uh, this collection of talks, okay, Life Under the Sun. You may wonder, like, what does that even mean? You're going to find out after tonight exactly what that phrase means. We're actually going to be in this book over the next 10 weeks together. And uh, something that's going to be unique about this, some of you are like, if you know the book of Ecclesiastes, you're like, we're going to be sad for a long time. That's not going to be the case. Hopefully, it's refreshing, and the Lord uh, really does, man, encourages and challenges our heart. Um, and I also want you to know that it's not an arbitrary decision when we decide what we're going to be walking through. It's been time that's been spent in prayer. We really ask, Lord, God, what do you have for us? What do you want us to walk through as a BCM family? And Ecclesiastes was that book, okay, over the next 10 weeks together. So tonight... I have the responsibility, okay, to kick us off uh, in this study in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I think one of the best ways for us to really begin this journey is I want to actually show you a picture. Maybe you actually uh, recognize this picture. Anybody recognize this picture? Just raise your hand if you've seen this picture somewhere at some point in time in your life, okay, before. This famous piece of art was created by a French artist by the name of Francis Rodin. It was actually supposed to be, I learned this, but I didn't know this, it was supposed to be um, part of a larger piece. The artist, Rodin, he uh, set, up, set out to sculpt a scene from Dante's famous comedy, but as he, began on just, as he began on just this piece, it quickly became a thing of its own. Pretty interesting. The thinker, by the way, that's sitting here, uh, is supposed to be thinking, uh, and there is a comedy at the gates of hell. So he's sitting there, and he's thinking a part of this art piece there at this comedy is what's been said. They're at the gates of hell. There uh, is supposed to be an entire scene around him. It is considered in the art world actually a uh, contemplative piece. So you sit, and you look at the thinker, and you think about what the thinker is thinking about, right? Pretty interesting. I know oftentimes when I look at this, I've seen, I've seen this art piece around, I've often thought, what is this dude thinking about? Especially as he's sitting there, okay, at the gate, supposedly, of hell. Now, that is not at the gates of hell. That's not where he's at right there, okay? <laughs> but in the original art piece, that is where he, he was at. If I were to try to give you a physical symbol of what the book of Ecclesiastes is like, I would say, mm, think about the thinker. Kind of like the thinker for two primary reasons. One, that's the posture of the writer of Ecclesiastes. There are over 30 questions as you work your way through the book of Ecclesiastes. There are over 30 questions that are found, okay, in this book. Very deep questions. In fact, Ishmael, she actually read one of them in chapter 1, verse 3. It's one of the first questions he asked. What do people get from all of their hard work under the sun? So, the writer... In the book of Ecclesiastes, he's sitting, he's thinking, he's contemplating, he's really asking these really deep questions about life. Say life. And if you are breathing, let me just check real quick. I think everybody's breathing in the room. I hope so. If not, call 911. Yeah, everybody's breathing. 
And all of us are experiencing this thing called life. Secondly, if this is the writer's posture where he's like contemplative, he's thinking deeply about life, that needs to be our posture as we approach this book, the book of Ecclesiastes. Sometimes, by the way, when it comes to the Bible, let's just be honest, sometimes we want things easy. We want things to be really like like spoon-fed to us, but this book is not going to spoon-feed us as we study it. We aren't necessarily going to get simple answers. It's going to require us to be contemplative and to think hard about life. By the way, when it comes to thinking and thinking about life and questions in philosophy or in literature, there are what people call the four big questions. Just curious, by the way, how many of you like just love just like studying philosophy? Anybody just by the show of hands? Oh, good stuff. Or love just like reading good literature? Raise your hand. That's you. That's out there. Okay. How many of you like, I don't really like reading, but I got to because I'm here as a student. So if I want to graduate, I guess I better do it. So by the way, tonight, and really throughout the entire semester, as long as you hang with us here at the BCM family, whether you are a Christ follower, a Christian that's in the room, or whether tonight you would say, I'm not a Christian, I'm skeptical, I'm just here because I heard there's going to be some free food and some donuts afterwards, like that's why I'm here. I'm a little bit skeptical about this thing. Wherever you may find yourself, we're just glad you're here. And this is a safe space for you. And I think Ecclesiastes is a great book for whether you are a believer or whether you are a skeptic or you consider yourself agnostic, whatever you may find yourself at on this spiritual journey, this is a great time for you to jump in here at the BCM. There are four big questions that all of us will ask at some point in time in our life. One of the big questions is this, where do we come from? You ever wonder that? You ever hang around uh, just kids? Kids are so funny. I got two of them. In fact, that's the noise you hear in the background. That's uh, our one-year-olds that are here tonight. It's going to be pretty interesting as they begin to get a little bit older and as they start, as they start to talk clearly and uh, begin to ask questions about life. I'm pretty sure it's going to be interesting. And I'm sure at some point in their life, just like in, at some point in your life and in my life, we've asked that question, where in the world do we come from? That is the question of origin. Another question we will ask at some point in time as we journey through life is this, why are we here? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever looked around, especially even recently at the world, just wonder, why in the world am I here? Why are we here? It is a question of, of meaning. Here's another, the third question out of the four big questions that all of us will probably ask at some point in time in our life is this, what's right and what's wrong? It is a question of morality. And then finally, where are we going? Even those who don't necessarily even believe in God recognize that this thing called life is moving somewhere. And at some point in time, in your life and in my life and just in a human being's life, we'll ask that question, where are we going? It is a question of uh, destiny, if you will. The primary question that the author of Ecclesiastes really is going to be asking is really out of that that second list of questions, which is, what's the point? Like, what's the meaning of all this? Or what is the purpose of all of this? This that we call life. Say life. Ecclesiastes, by the way, it is brutally honest. How many of you have friends? You love them. You know they love you. And you know that they are always brutally honest. Anybody have a friend like that? I have a friend that's like that. <laughs> that's just like, you know, they're going to always like tell the truth. Well, as we walk through Ecclesiastes, all you're going to get is the truth and nothing but the truth. So help us God. 
it is brutally honest about life. And sometimes we might be like, oh my goodness, you know, it's going to like punch us in the throat when it comes to this whole topic about life. Tonight, I want to do a little bit more teaching, if that's okay, than preaching as we, lay, as we begin to lay out the foundation, okay, of what this whole book of Ecclesiastes is really all about. The Bible, by the way, uh, is not just one book. It's one grand story with 66 different books, 44 different authors, three primary languages. This letter was written by someone to someone in real time, in real space. The first question that we need to ask ourselves as we approach this book, the book of Ecclesiastes, is who in the world wrote this book? The question. In fact, turn to neighbor and say, who wrote it? Who wrote it? Like, who wrote this book? Who wrote it? Who wrote it? There is some debate about who wrote it. Some of you, you're like, this is my first time here, and I did not plan on coming and talking, okay? Like, I want to just listen. Welcome to the family. Maybe when Fennel comes next week, you won't have to talk, Okay. If you didn't grow up in church, first of all, that's fine. But Solomon, let me tell you a little bit about this dude. Uh, He was a king, King Solomon. You can read about him in 1 Kings. Pretty interesting. So out of the 66 books, there is one book that's called 1 Kings. You can learn a lot about this guy, Solomon, there. This brother, he was brought up in something straight out of a Jerry Springer, okay, episode, seriously. His parents were uh, David and Bathsheba. If you know anything about them, you think I'm a scrub. They were really scrubs, okay? (laughs) They had an affair, and that is how Brother Solomon, okay, was born. Solomon was king of Jerusalem, and this is one of the reasons why I personally would make the argument. I think that Solomon, he had a lot to do with writing this book of Ecclesiastes. You say, Jay, where do you get that from? You get it from the Bible? Good question. If you, look, if you have your Bibles open, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. It reads this way in my Bible. It says this, I, the teacher, was king of Israel. Hmm. What do you think that was about? And lived in Jerusalem. Sounds like Solomon to me. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If you go to chapter 1, verse 1, just go back real quick. Right back up to the very top. It says, these are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Words of a teacher. Actually, in some Bible version, it will use the word preacher. Does any of your Bible say that? Use that word preacher? Yes. I think in the, potentially maybe even NIV, it'll use that word preacher. That word actually means lecturer or teacher. Perfect for college students. And the word Ecclesiastes, we actually have encountered this word, okay, if you have studied the Bible at all in your life, we've encountered this word in the New Testament before, ecclesia. Isn't that interesting? Which means to gather. It actually is the word for church, ecclesia, the gathering of the church. So to set the context, it's almost like we've gathered in a lecture hall, and this dude, it's really wise, named Solomon, is saying, y'all come on in, have a seat. I'm going to teach you a couple of things about life. Now, There was a point in Solomon's life where God asked him a question. He said, hey, man, ask me anything that you want, and I will grant it to you. Now, how many of you wish God would ask you that question? Even if you don't believe in God, maybe you would say, if there is a God, I don't know. (laughs) Hey, ask me that question. How would you respond? Maybe you would say, God, give me a lot of money, please. Give me a big house. 
I don't know what he would say. But Solomon's response was, I want only one thing, divine wisdom. Pretty interesting. I got to be honest with you. I always like to keep it 100 with you. I'm not quite sure that that would have been my, my, my request, okay? I'm just being honest with you. I'm not quite sure what I said, give me divine wisdom. I'm like, you God got a universe? Oh, yeah. I got some things that I want to request from you, but Solomon said, give me divine wisdom. He didn't ask for wealth or prestige or pleasure. He asked for divine wisdom, and God granted him that wisdom and so much more. History actually records that Persian kings all over the world, I mean, they would travel all over the world and sit at the feet of Solomon because he was this wise dude, and he was wealthy as well. Even though he didn't ask for it, he was a wealthy guy. He was so wealthy that people would bring him in blocks of gold the size of your cars, okay, if you have one. That's a pretty big size, by the way. He was getting multiple of those every single day. You find out as you study Solomon's life. Pretty interesting. The reason why it's important to know that Solomon, I believe, wrote this book is because this brother has some credibility when it comes to life. Like, if you want to know about wealth, Solomon is your man, not Donald Trump, okay? Solomon is your man. He knows a thing or two about wealth because he was a wealthy man. If you want to know some things about pleasure, oh, Solomon, this brother, he got you. Because he didn't just have one woman. No, 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 no. He had like 30 wives. If you're sitting here thinking, mm, don't, make that your, don't make that your takeaway, okay, guys? If you're like, okay. <laughs> okay, not just one wife. Let me get me 30. You know, you're going to pretty soon discover even Solomon was like, it wasn't worth it. It was not worth it. Listen to Solomon's words from Ecclesiastes 1.17. He says, so I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. What in the world was this book written? Pretty interesting. Well, I believe, and, and, and many commentators would say, that this book was probably written towards the end of Solomon's life. At, the point, at this point that he wrote this book, he was probably old in age, about 10th century B.C., the reason why I think that that is really important, okay, for us to be able to, under, to understand is because the Bible is not written in the same format per every book, okay? 66 books, and in 66 books, they are all not written necessarily in the same format. For example, there's a book called the Book of Psalms. I love the Psalms. But they read like lyrics from a song. Any singers in the house today? Anybody that wish they could sing? Raise your hand, that's you. You're like, la, 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 la. yeah. The Gospels uh, in the New Testament, there's two sections of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the New Testament, uh, there is what's called the Gospels, and they read like a biography as they tell the story of Jesus' life. Well, in Ecclesiastes, since that's where we're at, and we will be there for the next couple of weeks, it reads like wisdom literature. You have to understand this. This is really important because this book was not written to Western American culture. Are you with me? Is it okay if I teach just for a little bit today? Is that okay? You're like, of course. I know you are. You're about to get your PhD. You love education. I love it. It was not written to Western American culture. This is an ancient, this is ancient literature. That we're reading here in Ecclesiastes. Western literature is written on what is called a linear path. 
Now stick with me. You're like, I did not know I was coming to class tonight. For example, you've all heard a story, you know, like this. Once upon a time, in the village, lived a little king by the name of Bootsy. I just made that up, okay? <laughs> but it's a linear story. It takes off like a plane. It starts here in a very straight line until there is like this climax and then a resolution. It's like a Hallmark movie. Once you've seen one, you've seen them all. Newsflash, ladies, by the way. You know, during Christmas time, when especially, you know, you're, you're, you have your little hot chocolate and you're sitting, up, you're sitting up there on your cozy couch and you're watching your Hallmark movie. The husband, he's going to make it home in time for Christmas, I promise you. It always happens. It's a linear story. But ancient wisdom literature which is what the book of Ecclesiastes is, okay? Ancient wisdom literature is what is called cyclical. Say that 10 times. Oh, you're really going to say it 10 times. Okay. <laughs> cyclical. You say, Jay, what in the world does that mean? Well, cyclical literature takes one concept, and then it begins to journey around that one concept, and it hits it from all different types of angles. It's pretty interesting. We're going to learn as we walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, there's really one point that Solomon is trying to make, and he hits it from all different angles. It is cyclical. It's important to understand that as we study this book of Ecclesiastes, it can be a very difficult book to understand. So please pray for those of us who have to teach it. <laughs> but we have to take the posture of a thinker and submit ourselves to God's word. What is the purpose of this book? What's the purpose? Why in the world did it man, take so much time, okay, to write this book? What is Solomon doing? I think one of the things he's doing is he is confronting your life and my life in light of eternity. The purpose is to confront reality in light of eternity. Most scholars, once again, they believe that Solomon, he wrote this towards the end of his life. And it's been said that when you're facing something new, follow someone old. And if you are a college-age student, you are facing a lot of new things in your life right now. So it behooves us. I don't know why I use that word, but it sounds good. It would be to our benefit for us to learn from a wise guy who went on this great experiment under the sun and tried so many things. There are a few things we have to learn in order to understand this entire book. And over the next section here, what I want to do is, for the next couple of moments, I want to wrestle with a phrase and then a word that we see in chapter 1 that we're going to see repeated again and again and again and again and again through the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want us to understand it tonight, if we possibly can, wrestle with it, because it's going to give greater understanding as we work our way through this book over the next couple of weeks. The first phrase I really want us to wrestle through, just two things. One is uh, this phrase right here, under the sun, under the sun. I'm looking at this blank screen, so hopefully the words are going, there you go, under the sun. <laughs> under the sun. I mean, like, maybe my glasses are not working. I don't know. Maybe they are there. But under the sun. This phrase, you can see it, it's repeated a lot. Even in chapter 1, Ecclesiastes 1, chapter 1, verse 3, what do people gain from all their hard work under the sun? Ecclesiastes 1, verse 9, history says, merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Okay, we hear you, Solomon. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I devoted myself to search for understanding and explore by wisdom everything that has been done under the what? Sun. Many people will say that this phrase refers simply to just life on earth, the here and now. Like what you see is what you get and then you die. YOLO. Such an old phrase. And that's a little bit true, but I'm not quite sure that is really all that Solomon meant when he used these words under the sun. They're gone again. (laughs) Under the sun. I think we really understand the meaning behind this ancient words by reading verse 9, if you have it in your Bible. If not, it's probably the message version. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Here's what it says. It says, history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. My response to that was, oh yeah, Solomon? Nothing is new under the sun? What about the iPhone? What about Google? I think of Solomon, if he was here today, I I think that he would say, seriously, Google? You think that's new? Google's not new. There's always been a desire for information. You say, well, what about my iPhone? By the way, where are my iPhone lovers at in the house today? Come on, make some noise. Yes. Yes. For those of you who have Androids, we're praying for you, okay? We want you to come and just throw them in the trash when you leave here today. Just messing with you. <laughs> it's a iPhone, come on. There's always been this need for connection. That's the way God's wired us. There's nothing that is new under the sun. Now, you have to understand, by the way, that Jewish rabbis oftentimes to teach, they would ask questions. Jesus oftentimes, when he, would, when he was asked a question, he would answer the question with what? A question. It always cracks me up. I'm like, wait, what? They ask a question, Jesus, and you're responding with the question? But I don't argue because he's Jesus. I'm like, okay. Jesus or Jewish rabbis would ask if this is all that there is under the sun, then what is over the sun? If this is it, okay, under the sun, then what is over the sun? Now, you need to understand that back in ancient times, In scripture, the sun was a marker of time. It was the way they told time in the ancient days, and anything that was over the sun back in the day, they would have said, oh, that's heaven. The heaven is, they would have said, that's where God, where he dwells. Solomon is saying that we, we live under the sun. We live in the here and now, but there is something that is over the sun. Heaven, eternity, where God dwells, they would have said, that's what's over the sun. So what do we gain, Solomon, since you're so wise, from experiencing things under the sun? Solomon's answer, we're going to find out, he would say this, nothing, nothing. There is no gain apart from God, is what Solomon, one of the points we try to make here through the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon is teaching us that if you're trying to find meaning under the sun and not in in God who made the things that are under the sun, it is 
pointless. And here are some of the things that we tried to really gain from under the sun. We tried to gain knowledge and wealth and power and religion and friends and work and pleasure. These are some of the things that we try to gain under the sun. He is saying, listen, if you're trying to find meaning and purpose and gain in all of these things that we see right here on the screen, these creations, apart from their creator, you won't find it. Solomon, he knew some things about this because he himself, uh, if he was able to give up, get up and uh, do like Claudia did today, give his testimony, he would tell you a part of his story, there were some things that he tried under the sun. And here are a couple of those things he put up on the screen. Solomon, under his great experiment under the sun, he tried wisdom. He tried wine. And it was just more than just physical wine, but pleasure, if you will, and wealth and women and work. And all of these things, he found out that apart from God, it was meaningless. Solomon says, you'll never find purpose or meaning or gain in any of these things apart from God. But why? Does that seem fair to you? I mean, I read it, I'm just like, I guess you're a wise dude. Come on, why? Why won't we find pleasure in all of these things that were on the screen? That leads us to the next phrase, the second phrase I want us to wrestle with, to really stick with me here, because it's really interesting. It is this word right here, meaningless. Or maybe in your Bible, it may have the word vanity. How many of you have that word? Vanity, 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 vanity. Vanity or meaningless. In verse 2, you see it. Solomon, basically, he states his thesis for the entire book right here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. Just like any good writer tells what the goal is, he tells us right now in the first couple of verses. Ecclesiastes 1, 2, he says this, Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. And this is where you're like, okay, why are we studying this book then if it's meaningless? Solomon uses this word vanity or meaningless over 30 times. Tonight is like going to be the only time, okay, that you will hear this word. Honestly, I would say this to you. The word meaningless, which is actually here in my Bible version, is actually a really poor translation of really the meaning of what he was trying to say. In the Western culture, when we read meaningless, we think of, okay, it's null, it's void, it really doesn't have a point, but that is not what Solomon was trying to say. This is the word, okay, I like for us to look at actually in the original Hebrew for the two of you in the room who actually care, all right? Uh, this is how, okay, it would have looked. It is the word habel. Say habel. Look at you. Y'all are so smart. You know Hebrew. Habel. The word habel means vapor. It means smoke. It means temporary. And I was trying to think about how best, okay, to illustrate this word? And y'all have to forgive me if this is a dumb, dumb example. Okay. I still love you. But what came to my mind was I thought about the circus. I love going to a circus because it's a circus. I don't love going to a circus because of the thinker, okay, who's at the gates of hell. No, 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 no. That's not the kind of circus I like going to, but ones with rides. But really what I like is I love to eat. Have you ever been to a good circus, at any good circus, one of the things that you are going to find, okay, at a good circus is cotton candy. And I love cotton candy. Now, one of the things, though, about cotton candy is once you taste it and put it in your mouth, it's like it's gone. 
It's pretty crazy. But let me see. Maybe on this day, it'll be a little bit different. Let me just see one second in front of all of you. It's gone just like that. Tastes good, though. I think habel, cotton kind of illustrates that word habel. Solomon is saying that your life, that you are trying so hard to build by getting your education and trying to get all that money and uh, trying to get that big house and, uh, you know, a fancy car and all of these things. You're, you're trying to build your social media platform. You're hoping to be an influencer, right, so you can get some money and join the rest of the world, right, who's trying to be that way as well. You're, all, you're trying so hard to build is, is about as stable as cotton candy. It's here, but it's fleeting. It's not here for long. Another way of saying that is, Life is temporary. Life is temporary. You don't believe me? Ask Queen Elizabeth. Too soon. Oh, but you know what I'm talking about, huh? If you were to ask Queen Elizabeth, she's not going to respond back to you. And someday, you're going to ask Jay Sanders a question, and I'm not going to respond back to you. Because life is temporary. And I love that you responded that way, and then you're like, oh, that's too soon. How could you say that? Queen Elizabeth, that's my auntie. No, she's not. (laughs) No, she's not. Stop lying. The reason why we don't actually stop and think about life being temporary is because we are caught up in the cycle of life. Read Ecclesiastes real quick, okay, chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. It says this, the sun rises and the sun sets and then it hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in cycles. River runs into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again too, and the rivers flow out again to the sea. There's a cycle of life. And we try to ignore that. But there's no shortcuts when it comes to this. Your life is fleeting. It's here. And then it's gone. It's like a vapor, a mist. Whether you believe in God or not, you probably know somebody that was here that's not here anymore. Do you know that that word vanity or havel It's mentioned only a couple of other times in the scriptures. I think this is very interesting. And and one of the other places that Havel is mentioned in the same meaning that we see here in Ecclesiastes, think about it, Havel, 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 Abel. Abel in the Old Testament in Genesis. Genesis chapter 4, verse 2 Eve, later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. Our first parents, whether you recognize it or not, the very first human beings that were ever born on the planet, their names were Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, they had a fall from grace. And they had two children. One of of their kids' name was what? Cain, and the other name was Abel. Y'all so smart. Why would Eve name her second son Abel? You know what his name meant? It meant 
In Hebrew, it meant breath or vapor. And she names her second son breath or vapor. I think it's interesting. Stick with me because in this part of the story, death now has entered in. And when the fall happened, death entered into the picture and fractured everything that God said he created that was good. Stick with me. What God makes in Adam and in Eve is actually was supposed to be eternal. It wasn't supposed to end up this way. But because they disobeyed God, death entered into the world. We see it actually with one of Adam and Eve's sons, Abel. And when they disobey God and fall from grace, Adam and Eve's first offspring dies. Because we cannot produce or make anything that lasts forever. It's a pretty sobering reminder. And then we see that Cain, his brother, slaves Abel. Havel. 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 Ecclesiastes is trying to confront us with something we try to ignore. That very thing you said, too soon, Jay, death. Is that one word? Poets calls death the great equalizer. One out of one human beings die. Happy Thursday. Solomon is like, everything I see under the sun, it eventually comes to this point. The end is death. It's pretty interesting. In order to understand this book, by the way, we don't start in the beginning. Just from the beginning, let's go to the end. And this is how Solomon, eventually you're going to see, he's going to summarize it all in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, and then we'll be finished here tonight. He says these words. That's the whole story. Here and now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Solomon is basically saying, hey, to understand life, look at death. And that really is the big idea for us here tonight. You can put it up on the screen. It is this, to understand life, start with death and live your life in reverse. In closing, thank God we aren't just left, by the way, with the book of Ecclesiastes because that would be pretty sad. But if you went real quickly as we end, look at the first verse again, which reads this. He says, the teacher, King David's son. King David's son. I love that. You say, why do you love that? Because there was a day that was coming where there would be another one who would come in the lineage of David. Who in the streets, the lame and the blind, they would cry out and they would say, Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. And that one who would come through the lineage of David, his name was Jesus. And Jesus, he came from over the sun, under
son. And according to the scriptures, he came to bring hope and meaning to this thing that we call life. The way that he did that was he died on a cross, an old rugged cross for you and for me, whether you believe it or not. He died. There was a crown of thorns placed on his head. There were nails placed in his hands and his feet. He died. He was placed in the tomb. Three days later, he resurrected from the grave with all life in his hands. Praise God. Offering hope and meaning to this whole thing that we call life for those who would give their life to him. Jesus says these words. These are some hopeful words in John 11, verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never 